From training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and we're here with episode 14. We've got a great show with a fantastic guest today. I'm going to really hone in on the sports science side of things. Speaking of sports science, today's show is brought to you by Versapoli. There's a goal of every strength and conditioning program to both improve performance and decrease the chance of injuries. Um, specific to baseball and many other team sports, uh, we have athletes that are repeating short, explosive efforts uh, on both acceleration and deceleration. Unfortunately, what we see very, very commonly is a lot of athletes that want to just train the, the engine but never enhance the brakes. So we have a, an imbalance in many training programs between the acceleration and deceleration components. And that's really where the VersaPulley comes into play. It's a great tool to keep in your training arsenal because it offers flywheel training. And one benefit of training with a flywheel is the inertia aspect. The faster the flywheel moves, the more the user must decelerate the inertia that's created. We have a versatility at our facility and really love it for everything from rotational rows to anti-rotation core exercises. It can make even the best athletes feel slightly inadequate the first time that they use it because it does challenge them in different planes and load-bearing scenarios than they otherwise have encountered. Um, on the verse pulley, for example, you, you pull the cord on the concentric movement, but you have to be able to absorb the load. Keep the core stiffness um, because the flywheel is going to dish it right back to you on the eccentric com loading uh, component. So there are a few flywheel inertia pieces on the market, but they don't let you train at any point along the force velocity curve. And they usually only do so in a vertical movement. The beauty of the Versa pulley is that you can do it in multiple planes and from different settings. So if you want to train at any speed, in any load, and in any direction, that's what your Versa pulley is really going to offer. You can use squats, wood chops, shoulder rotation work. It really does get it done. What's awesome as well is that the crew at Versapulley set up a great discount for our listeners. If you head to versapulley.com backslash Cressy10, you can get 10% off on your purchase of a Versapulley. Again, that's V-E-R-S-A-P-U-L-L-E-Y.com backslash C-R-E-S-S-E-Y-1-0. You can get that 10% off discount. With that said, today's guest is a PhD with 22 years of experience in the health and human performance settings. He's worked as a sports scientist and a consultant across many levels of sport and in the public and private sectors. He has a PhD in sports nutrition from Baylor University and a master's of science and a bachelor's of science in exercise science from Marshall University. His work in conjunction with Draper Laboratories for the U.S. Special Forces has provided a deep multivariate understanding of the drivers of performance on the battlefield. He's done plenty of projects for professional teams and elite athletes on everything from nutrition to training to recovery to high-performance team development. Prior to that, he served as a director of sports performance at Stanford University. In his role, he oversaw all aspects of athletic performance enhancements of the 36 uh, sports there. During his seven years at Stanford, he did a lot of cross-departmental collaboration with many of Stanford's academic departments, ranging from sleep to the Center for Longevity and Health to bioengineering to residential and dining enterprises. Um, he was the creator of the highly acclaimed performance-based dining concept that has successfully been implemented since 2011. Prior to that, he worked as director of performance for USA Softball and previously had been involved with Exos, formerly Athletes Performance, as well as uh, serving as a performance specialist at the International uh, Performance Institute of the IMG Academies in Bradenton, Florida. He's a recognized author, researcher, and international presenter. Um, I actually speak alongside him on the Perform Better Tour, and we've become great uh, friends along the way. Um, his work appears regularly in numerous journals, textbooks, and periodicals. He served as a consultant to the U.S. military, many Division I programs, international sports federations, as well as several companies in the private sector. I'm excited to welcome to the podcast Dr. Brandon Marcello. All right, Brandon, welcome to the show. 
Hey, thanks for having me. This is going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm excited to talk to you, and you've been a great resource to me. Anytime I have a, a weird question on the sports science front with, with one of our athletes, and I'm excited for everybody else to tap into your expertise. Um, so you know, let's start off by talking about recovery as a whole. Um, we're obviously going to talk about sleep specifically um, on this discussion, but I think it's also important to look at the big picture first. So when you look at cover, recovery, what are the many different components that you have to consider in that discussion? Oh, I think that's a, a great question because that's the first place you have to start is, is most people gravitate toward the physical domain. And while that's very important, you know, to really optimize performance and make sure that the athletes are recovering, you have to also consider the social domain, the emotional, and the cognitive. So every athlete might need a little bit in all domains or might need very little in the physical or because they, they might have more of a cognitive burden from competition or training. Um, so it really you have to kind of take a look at all four of those uh, and see what the needs of the specific athletes are in each of those domains. Absolutely. So you're, what you're saying is that parents of newborns like us, we can give them all the sleep strategies in the world, but if there's still a screaming baby in the bedroom, that it, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> so, you, you got it. That's really, that's really interesting. So, um, you know, let, let's, let's look at sleep in particular. So, um, you know, obviously there's, we hear the same stuff over and over again, right? Make your bedroom colder, um, get rid of the iPad, you know, turn the cell phone off, um, you know, make the bedroom more like a cave. Those are kind of the, the very, very obvious things that keep getting kind of recycled over and over again. Every, you know, YouTube 10 minute lesson we get, or, you know, even like the, the one day sports science clinic that, that athletes get when someone comes to town, you know, what are some of these other, you know, easy adjustments? Where's the really um, profound low hanging fruit, um, on the, the sleep improvement fronts? Well, I think people look at these generalities, and I don't think there's anything wrong with them, but again, they're, they're generalities. Um, you know, they don't take the entire environment into consideration. Um, you know, wh what are people's obstacles? What are the athlete's obstacles to getting better sleep? You know, it may not be temperature. Um, it may not be their, their phones or their iPads or computers or televisions. It could be a, a spouse that snores, <laughs> or rolls around a lot and moves a lot, which wakes them up. It could be unwanted light. Um, it could be noise. Um, you know, it could be a whole host of other things um, that could be impacting it. And that's where you just have to start to ask the athletes the right questions. Um, or it could be pain, right? I mean, we see this a lot of times. Like, Brandon, I'd love to get eight hours of sleep, but my left shoulder hurts, and I like to sleep on my left side. So, you know, it's tough. So, you know, you have to address the, the underlying problem, the underlying obstacle. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I think you, one of the things that we've, we've discovered, you know, just from the other guests that have been on this podcast and obviously the, the folks who have given us feedback is there are a lot of pro athletes that are listening to this and there's nothing really physiologically correct about how professional athlete schedules take place. You know, everything from time travel to, you know, they, they go to work and, and compete at seven o'clock at night. You know, one of the biggest recommendations that a lot of people will give on the sleep science front is, you know, don't work out late in the day because you're wired and, you know, you might not sleep nearly as well. So, you know, these guys go to, go to work seven o'clock at night, maybe, you know, they play in front of 40,000 people and then they do media interviews afterwards with television cameras shoved in their face. And then they, you know, deal with traffic on the way home and they have to try to somehow tone down at, at one in the morning and go to sleep it's it's not always that easy is it no there's there's actually a joke about that that you couldn't design purposely design a more disruptive uh, environment for sleep um than pro sports it's it's absolutely insane yeah. um so you know and we're going to delve into a little bit deeper but um you know one of the things that I've, I've actually looked at it in really great detail since our twin daughters were born. So I have four-year-old twin daughters. And what's most intriguing about our girls um, is that they are entirely different. They've been different from when they were in the womb. Um, you know, we have a blonde, we have a brunette, we have a pasty white skin, and then when we have like that has olive-colored skin, personalities are markedly different. But what's most interesting to me is this idea that we have one that literally every morning is singing in her bed at 6.15 a.m. And her sister is like begrudgingly having to wake up and, you know, we have to like pry out her bed and like get her to wake up in time to eat breakfast to go to school. But she's also the one that, you know, basically doesn't like to go to sleep at night, whereas the, 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 the night, the, the morning person is the one that likes to go right to bed and it's pretty easy. So it was interesting. There was a, a good podcast with Nick Littlehills, um, 
uh, on Mike Robertson's podcast, and he talked about the concept of chronotypes, where we have people that are, you know, to, to some degree genetically pre-programmed to being morning people or night owls. Do, do you buy into that concept? Absolutely. So we, you know, we call the term either lark or an owl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people are larks are early to bed, early to rise, and mm-hmm. then you know you have your your owls, which are you know late to bed and late to rise, and there's absolutely something to that. Um, you know, I look at like you know. Jen, my wife, is a lark. Uh, I'm an owl by nature, right? But now because Jen is a lark, I have to be a lark. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's you can transition and you can become one or the other. But the, the problem is, and this is the catch, right? You have to stay consistent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, with me, yeah, I can be a lark when I'm here. But then when I go on the road, I go back to my owl ways and that jacks me up. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. There is those things to consider. And when dealing with athletes, how you approach their sleep is you have to consider that as well. Or even if you're talking about travel, mm-hmm. right? You know, is your team mostly made up of larks or owls? Cause that could dictate when you travel as well. So lots to consider. Absolutely. So, you know, and you know, probably the best known example of this is like, you hear about all the guys that talk about how much of an adjustment is going to play at Wrigley. Um, because they play so many day games, you know, more, obviously more so in the past before the lights were there. But, um, you, know, I, you know, you hear all the great things about Wrigley. It's like, you know, I get to put my kids to bed more often because we play so many day games. But, you know, a lot of people really struggle with, with getting to the park that early. Um, and, and certainly you can look, you know, through professional baseball, and some guys just don't play nearly as well in day games as they do in night games, and then vice versa. So it can relate, you know, to a million different things. You know, what do you do for that that athlete who's a night owl who is terrible on twelve o'clock starts, or even in the minor leagues, sometimes you know ten o'clock starts to a double header or getaway game. And then, what do you do for the the morning person who you don't want to be dragging by the time that seven o five start comes around? Well, I tell you, one of the biggest things, and this is is, is a lot easier said than done, is to try to have them eliminate as much sleep debt as possible when they go into these times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sleep debt is something which we accumulate. Um, so for instance, you know, if, if you need eight hours of sleep at night and you get seven, you owed me an hour of sleep debt. Okay, that's just a simple way of kind of understanding it. It's really mm-hmm. not a one for one, but it's, it's close. Um, so that accumulates over time. And now, now there is an upper limit, right? So it limits right around 50 hours, but those who have little sleep debt or no sleep debt handle those differences in time much better. Meaning that that typical circadian rhythm, when you have that urge to sleep, like for instance, in the middle of the day and you're kind of a little bit tired and lethargic, Mm -hmm. the less sleep debt you have, you don't really feel that urge. The urge is still there, but it's just imperceivable to you because you don't have any sleep debt, right? And the same thing works both ways. So when we're dealing with shifting time zones or, or, or changing schedules and jumping around, those with a little sleep debt handle those much better than those who do. And, and you'll talk to guys that'll say that, yeah, yeah, it, you know, I felt fine this time. I wonder what the difference was. Likely it was just the difference in sleep debt. Absolutely. So, you know, is it as simple as, you know, is, is it, we we all know like you, you go and you take a twenty minute power nap and you you feel like massively recharged and you know it wasn't so long that you woke up groggy and, and set yourself back. But I mean, is that enough to really make a, a dent in sleep debt, or is that the kind of thing where it's just it's a feel good moment that you know doesn't necessarily have a profound long term effect physiologically? Yeah, it's it's a feel good moment for sure. Yeah. It doesn't put a, a big dent in sleep debt, but like I, I recommend naps before games as often mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think people have to understand though, again, I'm, I'm painting everybody with a broad brush, you know, certain people have, um, will get sleep inertia, right. Which is that grogginess you feel after like a longer type of nap. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there are some strategies for that, but that's where you have to kind of also talk to the guys and get them to kind of understand, well, you know, does that bother you for 20 minutes or does it bother you for two hours? Mm-hmm. Right. Cause that's a big difference to consider too. So you know, choosing the right time for a strategic nap can, can mean everything. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and certainly there are different types of sleep challenges. Like we're obviously talking about, you know, high level sports where, you know, people are changing time zones and going to work late at night and things like that. But, you know, there's also a collection of, 
you know, parents and kids that are listening to this, maybe the, you know, 16 year old high school athlete that plays a three thirty game and is, is home in time for dinner, but six thirty, and, you know, can go to bed on time after doing some homework. So, you know, those are the kind of folks in the general pop and, you know, you know, I guess the younger levels or more predictable levels of sports, you know, they, they have different types of sleep challenges. Some are just going to have a hard time going to sleep. Um, you know, I'm, I'm unique. I can fall asleep like immediately. I have a hard time staying asleep. I'll, I'll wake up two hours in and start thinking about all the stuff I have to do. So, um, you know, what, how do we manage these people different? You know, is it, is it easier to handle someone who just can't fall asleep, easier to handle someone who just can't stay asleep? What are your, what are your big rocks in that front? Well, I think what it comes down to is it's just like anything, right? Life is based in routine and sport, especially baseball, is routine, 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 <laughs> right? But yet when it comes to sleep, we completely abandon that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we all of a sudden it becomes very difficult to wrap our heads around. And really, the routine and consistency is everything. And, and, and people term sleep hygiene, right? Mm-hmm. It's kind of like dental hygiene, right? You, you brush all of your teeth. Every day, two times a day, so everything is very consistent, right? You don't just wake up today and say, you know what, I'm just going to brush my top teeth, Mm -hmm. right? And then tomorrow, maybe I'll get another, you know, I'll get my molars or something. So, because there's a, there's a cost of doing that. And the same thing with sleep. It's about the consistency of sleep. It's about the regularity of sleep um, and doing that time and time again. And that's where it's like training, right? It's the regularity and the consistency and the quality of training, which is when you reap the benefits and the same thing is with sleep. So I think if we wrap our heads around that and embrace that, um, rather than take sleep off the table as, as the first thing to do, right, because mm-hmm. there's so much to do, you should probably make sure that stays there and move something else. Yeah. And you, you mentioned kind of the, the fur, you know, the four domains of recovery, you know, early on, you know, ranging from obviously like the, the physiological stuff we're talking about, but like the cognitive aspect, the social aspect, do you have a, a hierarchy of where you start? You know, is it, is it that the first thing you're doing is, you know, you're getting to know what, what socially they look like to make sure there's not anxiety that's there, you know, challenges with, like you said, a spouse or anything like that. Where, where do you kind of begin? What's your roadmap to actually mapping out how to, how to handle these sleep problems? Sure. Well, well, they're they're all connected, right? All the mm-hmm. domains are connected, and they tug on one another, right? Mm-hmm. So, like how we feel physically can impact us, how we feel cognitively or socially, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and how we feel cognitively can impact how we feel physically, and, mm-hmm. and sleep has a profound effect on all four of those domains, which mm-hmm. is the, the remarkable thing. Um, the big thing is to sit down and talk with them and find out what they're like. Mm-hmm. You know, so are they somebody who, uh, you know. After they pitch, they I can't wind down because they're mm-hmm. thinking about the game and they replay every pitch in their head. Mm-hmm. Okay, well that's somebody that might need some something else, or somebody who can just kind of flush it and kind of go on about their night, right? So finding the the athletes' different idiosyncrasies can give you great insights on how to solve their problems when it comes to getting a good night's rest. Absolutely, and. Let's talk about how nutrition impacts all this. Obviously, that's a kind of a, I guess, a subcategory of some of the other ones. You know, certainly your, you know, your social environment impacts your nutrition, and um, it has profound impacts physiologically. But you know, if someone's struggling to to get to sleep or to stay asleep, are, are there nutritional components? Things that they eat late in the day. Obviously, caffeine being one. Um, you know, are, are there things that jump out at you as common culprits in terms of hey, this? is something to stay with from this is something that I've included that people have had good benefits with. Um, what, what are your takes on those? So there's a couple of things here. One, obviously what we eat can influence how we sleep and how we sleep can also influence what we eat. It works a two way street there. Um, you know, the, the big things I see is that, you know, these, we have late games. Um, these guys are starving and they maybe have a big dinner or just something that's open or, you know, whatever. Right. Because they want to get some rest, uh, or maybe room service or whatnot, um, and that's not always the best quality food. And sometimes that can interfere with people's sleep. Um, it can create insulin spikes, and then that can uh, wake them up in the middle of the night. Um, it can wake them up prematurely. Um, they could have gastroesophageal reflux. So there's a whole host of things that can impact that. You mentioned caffeine. Yeah, caffeine can impact it depending if you're a fast metabolizer or a slow metabolizer. Um, you know that that. 
can very much impact your ability to get to sleep at night uh, and when and timing and con- consumption as well. Absolutely. Um, so Ex- lots of exercise things. shortens the half-life quite a bit for a lot of people as well. So, yeah. um, you know, we, we, everyone knows that reverse responder who drinks coffee right to the second they go to bed and then they, they sleep like a baby. So, mm-hmm. um, so, you know, and, and I guess building on some of the nutrition side of things or what are, what are your takes on the sleep supplement side of things? Obviously, it's a it's a pretty big market, you know, ranging from ZMA to melatonin to everything imaginable. You know, what are the ones that you ascribe to? What are the ones that you know you're you're very very questionable about? Um, you know, do you even go any you know depth into into the supplement side of things? Um, what's your take? So, uh, from a supplement standpoint, there are some things which can benefit you. Um, you know, there tart cherry juice is one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know from the research years ago, they, they just started doing recovery research mm-hmm. with tart cherry juice. And what they found is that people who were in these studies were reporting better sleep. Mm-hmm. So they're like, well, let's start doing some studies on sleep and tart cherry juice. Yep. And sure enough, what they found is that, huh, tart cherry does stimulate mm-hmm. sleep. It's funny okay, you mention like, that. There's a product yeah. called Cherish that's become very, very popular with a lot of pro athletes, and I just started trying it out myself. So it's intriguing that you did that, that you mentioned okay. it first. So there's, <laughs> there's something to it. And, and then there's there's another supplement um, that's NSF mm-hmm. uh, certified for what it's worth, <laughs> um, and it's called uh, BioZ. And mm-hmm. I know some clubs actually have it, but it has lactoalbumin in there, which is another um, sleep trigger. Um, and that can actually benefit. Um, so, so those are, are, are two decent ones, um, that I do like. Um, there is a lot of crap out there though, Eric, and, and you know yeah. this, right? Um, people always ask about melatonin. Yeah. And the funny thing about melatonin is the, the, the prescription recommendations for melatonin range from 0.2 milligrams. So from 0.2 all the way up to five milligrams. Mm-hmm. So that's a big range. So Absolutely. people would say, well, I'll just take five and that'll have me covered. <laughs> the problem is if you take too much melatonin, the side effect is you can't sleep, right? <laughs> yeah. So most of these supplements, you know, pick an arbitrary number like three milligrams, um, which will work for some and won't work for everybody. Um, but then the other half to remember is that these supplements aren't regulated by the you know, FDA. So they may put seven in there when they manufacture it because they know it's going to sit on a shelf and then travel in a truck and then sit on a counter and then you're going to buy it. It's going to sit on your in your cabinet at home and then you're going to take it. Maybe it'll have three milligrams by then, maybe more, maybe less, right? Absolutely. So you, you never know what you're getting with that. So that's kind of like, those are my cautions with that. And there's some other products out there, you know, Psalm Sleep and Turn yeah. Off and those things. And they have a lot of sugar, even though they have no sugar versions. But again, most of these things contain like melatonin um, at various levels, which are not guaranteed to do anything, but probably disrupt your sleep. Interesting. Um, so, you know, let, let's talk about, you know, people who maybe are a little bit further down like the clinical route. You know, certainly we have um, – so Josh James is, is one of our, our longtime our athletes. He's, you know – 100 mile an hour arm, you know, pitching for the Houston Astros. And Josh was a guy who there's, there's all kinds of stories written about it, you know, publicly. He was the guy nobody wanted to room with on the road because his snoring was so bad all throughout the minor leagues. And, you know, started working with us in you know, the fall of 2014 and, you know, it was a 91 to 93 mile an hour arm. And, you know, basically, you know, within the next year or two, he went and did a sleep study at the University of Miami, got a CPAP machine, and it, it changed his life. I mean, he went from yeah. being a guy who looked like he was just sleepwalking sometimes, and, and don't even know he worked his butt off and all this, but now he's a guy who's, you know, 98 to 101 um, consistently. So, you know, he was obviously a guy who needed like a clinical intervention. You know, what are some of the things that you look for, you know, in not just in like, you know, certainly we hear people who are obese who, you know, have a predisposition to sleep apnea or stuff, but what are the things that you look for in, you know, your younger, presumably healthy athletes, your, you know, your 27 year old, you know, college volleyball player, or whatever, or volleyball player who, you know, can't sleep. What are the signs that make you think that you need to escalate things, that it's, it's pretty clinical and you need to refer this out to, you know, someone who, who might need a more significant intervention? No, oh, yeah. And I think you made a great point is that, you know, a lot of times people think that these, you know, like sleep apnea on these disorders are, are reserved for the, you know, 455 pound yeah. NFL offensive linemen. And that's, that's not the case. You can be, you know, you can be 5'10 and 180 pounds and have sleep apnea. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so it could happen to anybody. And, you know, a couple of things to consider too is, you know, does your family have it? Does anybody in your family have it? Like your mom mm-hmm. or dad, right? Mm-hmm. Because obviously you inherit your anatomy from them. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, your, the likelihood of acquiring um, something like obstructive sleep apnea is, is increased that way. Um, you mentioned snoring. That's yeah. a great sign. People that snore a lot um, may, <laughs> may be an indication that you should, you know, might have some, some sleep disorder and should get that checked out. Uh, if you wake up gasping, right, or if you always wake up tired, no matter how much sleep you think you get. Um, if you have headaches and you wake up with headaches, um, those types of things um, are, are certainly some signs. But, you know, these are things like that, that you don't want to mess with. Yeah. Um, there are some long-term implications with this. You know, I'm not a sleep physician by any stretch of the yeah. imagination, but any of my athletes, uh, I always recommend they go see somebody and just take it off the plate, right? Just we yeah. know it's not Lord. a problem because it's, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah. And like, you know, there are certain populations where 99% of individuals go undiagnosed with sleep apnea, mm-hmm. 99% of certain demographics. And that's a significant amount. Absolutely. Now, I, I knew obviously do a, a, a lot of consulting, you know, with athletes of all levels, but particularly in, in high level sports where, where time changes due to travel are, are very real concerns. So, um, you know, we're, you know, you always hear like the, you know, the, the gold standard of like, hey, if you, if you travel one time as long, it takes one day to adjust. Um, you know, do you buy into, you know, some of those, you know, kind of, I guess, simplified equations? Um, you know, is that something that you, you found is, is, is realistically true? There are some, it's, it's a bit simplified. I mean, yeah. um, you know, it's about one, they say one day per time zone. That's for you to feel normal. There are some yeah. um, other lagging, and that's where the term jet lag comes from, where your biological clock lags behind the clock in which you're currently residing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some other physiological and endocrine and, and uh, systems that are lagging behind a little bit longer, mm-hmm. um, but you don't perceive them. And, you know, we, we've seen that in the research. That's why West Coast teams tend to beat East Coast teams, right? Mm-hmm. More yeah. times than not. That's been studied yeah. um, because of this. There are certain advantages where you live and where you travel and when games are played. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting because it affects everything. I mean, I know MLB talked about realigning divisions um, mm-hmm. to, to minimize the amount of cross times on travel and all that. It's, it's, it's obviously a, a significant competitive advantage if you can take advantage of it. So let, let's use that example, right? Um, so Blake Trinan is one of our guys. He pitches for the Oakland A's. Let's say Blake you know, is, is finishing up a night game on a, on a Sunday night in Oakland. And they're going to play at 7.05 in Boston the next day where he's got to hop on a flight, you know, six hours from Oakland to Boston. Um, you know, he loses three hours. So they're going to get into Boston, you know, basically at 8 a.m. on a red eye. What are the things that, that he can do? You know, because you, you hear the mindset of when you go east, just try to adjust, get on their time zone right away. Um, you know, what's, what's the suggestion to a guy like that to, to make sure that between 8 a.m. Boston time, you know, and 7 p.m. Boston time, he's ready to go to go and pitch that night? The big thing is to start to change your clock ahead of time if you mm-hmm. can, right? Yep. Start to, you know, two days in advance, three days in advance. Start to make, still run your day normally, mm-hmm. but just push everything an hour, right? And that's yep. really what you can do is start to move the clock a little bit, take some planning, but yep. it can be done. Um, once you're in the air, mm-hmm. you're in the air, right? Yep. Um, you got, you're not going to do much in those six hours, right? Yep. But you can do some things ahead of time and can start moving the clock toward that East coast time to start to acclimate yourself yeah. um, and shift ahead of time. And I'll put you in a good spot. Yeah. I mean, but I guess my question for you is let's, let's say you, you don't sleep on the flight, right. You know, cause some mm-hmm. people just can't sleep on airplanes, you know, ideal scenario, you, you do get some sleep on the flight and you wake up and it's, it's like you did a Boston evening. But if that's not the case, are you, are you telling him, Hey, like, when you land, are you, do you go right to your hotel and try to sleep for four hours? I mean, it, it, it's the logical answer if, if you're trying to just feel your best you can at game time. But does that set you back over the next couple of days? Well, I think I think it's, this goes down to the individual thing too, right? And that's where it comes down to how is this person going to feel if I tell him to stay up or tell him to avoid light? Yeah. or can, Will he do these things and can he do these things? Or is this person like, I need to go to bed? And if yeah. you need to go to bed to feel better, then that's important too, right? So it's that little bit of like – um, where the science is there, but yeah. the placebo effect is so strong. If somebody doesn't buy into the science, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's true. Right. And that's kind of where it gets tricky. 
Absolutely. Um, what about the inverse, right? So generally speaking, it, it, I've always felt like going west feels a lot easier. Um, you know, you just try to stay up a little bit longer to, to get back on schedule. Has that been your experience? Um, and what, what considerations would that, that player from Boston going to Oakland have to consider? Same thing. You have to start shifting your clock a little bit ahead of time. Because um, obviously, you know, if, if you're playing a 7 o'clock game on the West Coast, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's, that's 10 o'clock yeah. your time. Right. And if you're playing at your best at seven, well, then, you know, that's moved a little bit. So start again, shifting that clock so you can be closer to their time. Even one hour, two hours is going to be ideal. Um, and that, that's something to consider there, too. Absolutely. Um, so l- let's talk kind of big rocks. Right. We've, we've covered a lot of maybe, maybe more generalities. So you're, you're working with a teenager. Right. So say you got a you know, 15 year old baseball player um, yep. and he and his dad are listening to this right now on their ride from a game or something like that. Wh- where do you start? You know, what are, what are the big rocks at the teenage ages that you feel like are, are the ones that you encounter the, the most in terms of trying to optimize sleep? Well, I think teenagers need to realize, you know, they have to get rid of that more is better ethos, right? And that um, if you look at what the science says, and the research is very clear with this, right? Like, if you get less than five hours of sleep a night for a week, your testosterone has dropped 15%. So that means that you have the testosterone. If you're a 20-year-old, you now have the testosterone levels of a 30-year-old, okay? And... If you're trying to develop strength and develop power um, as a teenager, um, you're going to have a hard time doing that with suboptimal testosterone levels because you've impaired your sleep. Mm-hmm. And that's just testosterone. If we look at the research on injuries and, yeah. in adolescence, that athlete, you know, athletes that sleep six hours a night compared to those that sleep eight are 1.7 times likely to become injured. It's unbelievable. Right? And then if we're talking about... Actually, it's very believable, I should say. It is believable, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, and if you look at motor skill acquisition, right, in terms of of what coaches are telling you and you changing motor motor patterns and learning new skills and developing new skills and refining your already skill, already skills that you've acquired, Mm -hmm. um, you're going to have a hard time when you're in a sleep-deprived state. Mm-hmm. Right, so you're you're giving up strength. You're leaving power on the table. You're leaving reaction time, right? So reaction time decreases by like twenty percent um, in a sleep deprived state. So you know, garden variety fastball takes about oh four four uh, hundred milliseconds to reach home plate, right? So if you impair yourself by you know twenty percent reaction time, maybe you'll get lucky, but. Yeah. The, again, the odds just aren't stacked in your favor. And that's all we're trying to do with sleep is stack the odds in your favor of having a successful performance. It doesn't guarantee anything, as you Absolutely. know. So it you, stacks the odds. So number one priority with, with really anybody is to be like, is to make them understand this is fundamentally important on, a, on many, many levels, right? Um, yeah. So you know, the thing we see with teenagers, obviously, is like it's like the Fortnite generation, right? It's the guys that want to play video games <laughs> till 3 a.m. Do you, do you buy into the, the mindset that like, you know, an, an hour before midnight is worth, you know, two hours after, sorry, two hours after midnight's worth an hour before like does, do you buy that or is it is that just kind of like another one of those things that's <laughs> well, been pulled out of nowhere yeah i don't necessarily buy into that one mm-hmm. i think where they're getting at is that when you know the the latter half of your night is where most of your rem sleep occurs mm-hmm. right and when you chop off part of your night and get six hours which is likely to happen the later you go to bed mm-hmm. you're missing out on some really high quality sleep mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where it kind of comes into play. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And how important, I, I guess my other question for you is, um, how important is it to wake up naturally? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a guy that I can program my brain. If I have a 4 a.m. wake up to, to go to the airport, I'll be up at 3.57. Like, I can just kind of do that. It's probably a sad commentary on my, my underlying level of anxiety. But, um, <laughs> you know, do you feel like it's important for people to wake up naturally before an alarm clock? Like, what are, what are the, the benefits and drawbacks? Obviously, the benefit is don't be late for things. But, um, you know, do you not like to see people waking up to alarm clocks? I, I prefer you don't, right? Yeah. But I mean, that, that's the thing is like, you know, we, we like to be in places without time cues, meaning light yeah. and noise that, that pulls you out of bed. That'd be great, right? Mm-hmm. But um, not always the reality. Yep. Um, sometimes people have used those sunrise alarm clocks. Yeah. I don't really know what the research says on it. Some people feel better. But again, if you feel better, mm-hmm. that puts you in a better emotional state. 
that puts you better emotionally, you're better cognitively, then you're better physically, and you're better socially. So, you know, there's something to be said for that. No doubt. So that, you know, on the teenage side of things, it's an awareness thing. Like, this is important. Here are the, here are the downfalls, above all else, and then common sense. College guys are a little bit different, or college athletes in general. Um, and actually, this is timely. It's, it's May 15th. I actually had a conversation today with a, a, a pitcher from MIT who was at the facility who has his you know, like a final tonight. Um, so, you know, talk about some of the, the unique challenges of dealing with college players, um, where you've had the most success in that population. Obviously you spent time in the college realm and, and this was something you prioritized. Yeah. I mean, we were kind of lucky, <laughs> lucky where, you know, excuse me, you know, it all depends on the type of athlete you're getting. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is an interesting one because you know, the social component is huge in college. Right. Mm-hmm. And again, if we're trying to optimize all four domains, you know, there has to be a social aspect to it. Um, one of the things which I've always kind of fought against in the collegiate setting is the notion of getting kids up early to eat breakfast because they say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, that drives me crazy. It's like, <laughs> I would rather we lose, I would rather we get sleep and skip breakfast than wake these kids up and then, you know, put them in a sleep deprived state and then get a meeting because, mm-hmm. We know that if you're sleep deprived, you alter your carbohydrate metabolism. Mm-hmm. So you you kind of diminish the ability to metabolize, though. That is a fuel. And you are why, <laughs> Yeah, that's why people who are sleep deprived crave carbohydrates and typically mm-hmm. junk food. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really interesting um, thing to think about from that standpoint. Um, so that's one of the things. Um, the other things is just give these guys, <laughs> guys realistic countermeasures, mm-hmm. right? Things that you can say, here are some things which are going to make you feel a little bit better. It does not replace a good night's sleep mm-hmm. at all. And you have to be very clear about that. But it's just going to make the day suck a little bit less. Absolutely. So you know, when we're talking about kids during final exams, obviously they need as much sleep as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the, there's quite a bit of research that shows that injury rates tend to go up during periods of academic stress and all that. So it's a, mm-hmm. it's a tricky time right now. You have every you know, college baseball team in the country trying to get to Omaha. Kids are taking final exams, you know, in some cases they're proctoring exams on the road as they travel to away games and, and things like that. So, um, you know, what, what are the, the things that you think coaches can take from this, whether it's a college coach or, you know, even just, you know, someone in the, in the private sector that's trying to look out for their guys, you know, from afar, let the kids get sleep. I mean, that's the big thing, you know, it's okay to miss a day of practice. Right. I mean, these kids are going to perform at a better level and everybody always goes automatically to this. They say, well, if I give the kids the day off, they're just going to, they're going to stay up all night and they're not going to take advantage of it. That's kind of a bad argument, right? That's like saying, that's like somebody arguing about how we pay for food at restaurants. You know, well, if we don't, people are going to be able to run and walk out. We got to put armed guards at the door, Right. It's like you don't, that's not the answer. The answer is give them opportunities to get sleep. And if you give them opportunities, sure, some kids are not going to take advantage of it. But there's a lot more, I think, that will take advantage of it. So, you know, if you don't want to be angry as a coach uh, because your players are not performing well, they're not, the ball is not, you know, jumping off the bat as it should be. you know, that's not a good thing. Plus, furthermore, you're putting their academics at risk, right? There's mm-hmm. tons of research out there that shows, you know, when it comes to sleep and memory and, and, and short-term memory and long-term memory and locking that into a safe place, um, sleep is critical for that, both before and after. Absolutely. Um, so, so, I mean, it, it's, it's a win-win if your athletes get sleep. They're not stressed about academics. They're in a better position. Um, they're probably playing better. They're probably practicing better. You know, we did a study with basketball players. One of the craziest side effects we saw from paying back sleep debt was mood. Everybody liked being at practice. (laughs) Everybody. And I've never seen an entire team happy to be there. Um, And it was, but but why? Because they were playing better. And the coaches were enjoying it because they were now remembering the things that they were telling them and they were executing on them. you know, they had better stamina. They had better endurance. They were jumping higher. They were faster. They had better reaction times. So it's like, there's, there's, there, what's the downside of getting yeah. sleep? None. You feel Absolutely. better, right? Absolutely. And then, and so I assume you're in a similar place with, you know, early morning workouts. Like they're they're meant as you know 
punishment workouts in some cases, you know, in some cases it's just like, you know, we have to be up just so that we can say we're up and we're out working people. But in, in reality, there's really nothing physiologically appropriate about dragging a 19 year old out of bed and having him go work out at five 30 before he goes to class, before he has a chance to, to get quality nutrition or anything like that. Or is, are you on, on board with that? Or where, 100, 100%. I'm going to be the guy actually with my kids. I'm sure you're going to be this guy too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That, they're going to come home with this large amount of homework and I'm going to say, go to bed yeah. and then I'll deal with the teachers in the morning. Um, you know? Yeah. And, and there's more and more research showing that, you know, starting school later for, for a lot of kids is probably the better play. Um, you know, it's just, they, they live on a, on a calendar that's not necessarily, you know, matched to their biochemistry, right? Right. Um, right. so we, we did big rocks for teenagers and college players. What about, what about our minor leaguers? What about our guys that are on these nine hour bus rides, um, you know, in the, in the middle of nowhere and, you know, in the Midwest league or, you know, in the yeah. pioneer league or something like that. What are the things that these guys can do? Cause they're, they're living in not so great hotels. They're, they're riding on not so great buses. They're not yep. so great food. There's, there's so many aspects of their recovery that's outside their control. What are the things they can control? Well, I think that again, starting with what are the obstacles to sleep? Right. So like for a minor league player, you know, it's like position, right? Because meaning they're sit, they're trying to sleep upright or in a semi-reclined charter bus, right? Um, light is a problem. Noise is a problem. Temperature is a problem and motion is a problem, right? So it's like I was talking to uh, um, uh, minor leaguers from a team that will remain nameless. And uh, uh, when we were talking, I said, yeah, you know, you want your the temperature in your room to be you know, like 69 degrees. And they're like, we would love that except, uh, housing won't allow us to control our thermostats and they keep them at 74. (laughs) And I'm like, that's hot. Yeah. And it's like, so how are these guys supposed? So I get it. Right. So, you know, again, it's, it's a countermeasure thing for them. So like, you know, uh, I, I talk to them about like noise. So get like Bose sleep buds mm-hmm. or, you know, that are fit to your ear and can help block out unwanted noise. Yeah. Light, get the blue light blocking glasses uh, to avoid the blue light during the, the times of the night when you don't need it, or even like um, a, a sleep mask. Yeah. Um, you know, noise. Uh, we talked about that um, position. There are some pillows that you can buy, which can, or better, or better travel pillows, which can kind of help, combat that again it doesn't mean you're going to get a solid night's sleep on the bus but it can maybe help you get maybe an extra 20 minutes or maybe even an hour which can help in the long run right and then there's some things for temperature too like they make chili pads which can go on your bed and you can make it hotter or colder um you know so there's there's some things that you can absolutely do which will help Mm -hmm. um and that's what i do is kind of give them countermeasures to kind of say you know, here's what I would recommend that you, you do to help kind of make things not suck as bad. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the, the temperature discussion is one that's waged in, in every married, uh, household. Um, basically women like <laughs> women tend to like it hotter, men like it colder. What, what are the norms? Uh, just, just so that we have it from your background. I know where I like to be. And I know my, my wife likes it considerably hotter. Um, what's the, what's the, the raging debate that Marcelo household look like on that front? Oh, well, you know, we're both run pretty hot at night. Okay. Uh, so we're, we're pretty much on the same page with that. Yeah. Yeah. So we actually, we actually don't have much debate about that one, All right. which is a good thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm one that I'm, I'm happy at like 69 to 70 degrees. I can, I can live with that. I think, uh, I think Anna's more of like a 72 to 74 person. So it it definitely is is a little bit challenging. All right. So that's my early years. What about, what about the big rocks for big leaguers, right? They got the the world at their, their fingertips. They're staying at the four season at the Ritz. Um, they're traveling, you know, they don't have to go through the, the you know, the, the nightmares of, of, you know, kind of commercial airlines of, you know, checking bags and all that stuff. Yep. Um, they get to fly whenever they want to, as opposed to, you know, whatever the, the cheapest flight in AAA or, you know, whatever uh-huh. is, is working in that regard. Where, where are the, the, where are the places where those guys who do have the, you know, the amenities at their fingertips and the cash flow to, to spend a little bit, where can they make the, the biggest dents? You know, what's the competitive advantage they can find? Yeah. So the big thing is like, you know, the, to try and mimic their, their home sleep preferences with the hotel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the thing. So like room location is huge, right? If you're a light sleeper and this isn't necessarily for big leaguers, but if you're a light sleeper, um, you know, you want the room at the end of the hall, yeah. uh, away from the elevator and ice machine. Right. Yeah. Um, and you know, like when, when these guys play in San Francisco, they stay at probably the Fairmont in union square. Right. And there's always construction at union square. So what you want to make sure is that they put them on the high floor away from traffic, right. To minimize the likelihood. Um, Always unplug your phone when you go in a hotel room. 
because you never know if someone's going to call by accident, right? Yeah. And they could call by accident any time of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, again, set your temperature right away. Um, always check the alarm clock when you go into a hotel room because we've all been there at 5 a.m. AM radio turns on <laughs> and it just like, what the hell is that? Yeah. Um, yeah, those types of things. And then, and then scout, scour the room. If you're like sensitive to light, you know, throw a towel over like the light or, you know, like the, the alarm clock or mm-hmm. throw a towel in, under the door. Um, those types of things are, are very, very beneficial when it comes to that. Um, yeah, that's the big thing. And, that, you know, make sure that these guys have these rooms taken care of ahead of time. Yeah, Temperatures absolutely. look good. Um, some guys travel with fans. Yep. Um, I had some guys even ask me, big leaders say, hey, can I, should I travel with like an air purifier? Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, that's a good, great consideration, except most air travel purifiers, one that you travel with, they actually suck. So yeah. I said, you know, and the ones that kind of work, you have to crank up really loud and that'll probably disturb your sleep because it's too noisy. Um, but right. yeah. So lots of moving parts. Um, lots of moving parts. Um, you know, here's a question too. I know some guys are, are adamant. Um, you know, they do like shower or bath before bed and it tends to help with sleep. Um, temperature of that, you know, do you find utility in, in actually doing that for most folks? Yeah. I mean, we know when the body cools itself down, it's going to kind of help get you to sleep a little bit. So take a nice warm shower again. But that goes back to a routine, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you have to stick with that, and, yeah. and, it can, and everybody's going to be different. Some people like to read. Some don't like to read, so then don't yeah. read, right? Yeah. Some like to shower. Some like to stretch. Um, some like to listen to music, which is great. Some like to review video. Fine, mm-hmm. right? You know, so everybody has different things. Um, you know, some guys get massage chairs. I've recommended that for some guys, and they love them. Like they'll go drive home, they'll get in their massage chair and they'll sit there and relax for about 15, 20 minutes. And then it helps them wind them down easier. Cause, cause obviously that's what we're looking for. How do we get these guys wound down quicker? Um, uh, because like you said, they're playing in this environment where they're hyper stimulated, you know, bright lights, people screaming, uh, adrenaline's flowing. Then they get on social media and they read something that pisses them off and cranks up their adrenaline <laughs> even more. Right. Yeah, and then they try to combat it with a couple of drinks, and then that disrupts their circuit, and then, then mm-hmm. it starts a nasty thing, right? So, yeah, um, yeah the, as long as you have a routine, stick mm-hmm. with that routine. Like baseball players are great with routines; they mm-hmm. are, and yeah. you know this, right? Yeah, but they're not so much when it comes to sleep. Absolutely, <laughs> and you actually you you literally tipped off my next question. Alcohol is is another big one. Obviously, is it can impact sleep quality. It can impact you know hormonal function, all that stuff. Um, you know, do you have a, an official position statement on it? Is you know what's it, what's an acceptable amount? What's going to really throw you off? Um, you know, obviously there are plenty of guys in, in Major League Baseball who you know they make a seven inning start and they walk out and there's like a, a Bud Light like waiting for them in the locker room when they come off the mound. But what's your take on that? What, what can guys do and get away with, and what's definitely a no no? Well, here's what we know: too much alcohol. We'll get to too what is too much in a minute. What happens is you actually will skip over your regenerative stages of sleep, mm-hmm. right? So you get junk sleep. Yeah, you might be passed out and you don't, you know, you went to sleep and you wake up and whatever, right? Um, it was not sound sleep. You skipped over those regenerative stages and there's a cost of doing business that way, right? Um, most people, you probably can have like one drink, like a nightcap that will help mm-hmm. you fall asleep faster. Yeah. You know, the problem arises when you have any more, Right. After typically two or more, um, you start to really disrupt your sleep patterns. Now, people don't like that answer. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. Um, so, there, you know, if you choose your time strategically, then you're going to be in a better spot. And um, if you can sneak in a nap, that will kind of help. But it's not going to. It's not going to repair it. And it's not going to make up for it. Absolutely. What you you know you actually uh, touched on a little bit when we we discussed the supplement side of things. You mentioned the melatonin. What's what's the biggest misconception you come across in your in your workings with athletes as you try to improve their sleep? Like, what are where are they completely wrong? Um, there's a lot of sleep mythology that I go over, right? So uh, you know, like some people believe that you know you know naps are bad, or some people think naps are good. Um, some people are asking, like, typically I get the question, you know, if I, if I get four hours of sleep and take a four hour nap, is that the same, mm-hmm. um, you know, as like a, a typical eight hour night and the answer is no. Um, you know, we talk about eight hours of sleep as ideal. There's a misconception about the amount of sleep that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of them. Uh, there's a misconception that you can get too much sleep. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a misconception that you can store up sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are like the big ones that I that, that I get a lot. Absolutely. Give me a, give me a crazy sleep story. What's the what's the wildest one you uh, you can recall from all years working with athletes? A crazy sleep study. Well, I, I can't only have a crazy sleep study, but I can tell you this much because this is one that I get a lot. So um, you know, <laughs> to give you know, I don't know, people some background, their listeners some background. How I got into sleep was uh, you know I, I matched up with a colleague by the name of Doctor William Dement. Mm-hmm. And Bill Dement is like 87 years old now, maybe older. Um, I met him back in 2007, uh, and he is considered the father of sleep medicine. He actually discovered REM sleep when he was a grad student in his 20s. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's like the guy, and I was lucky to, to meet up with him, uh, do some cool research. We've had some publications together, which was great. Mm-hmm. And I asked him about these people that say they sleep, you know, two hours a night or only need three hours a night, you know, these, these unicorns. And he goes, Brandon, let me tell you something. He goes, I spent the early part of my career traveling all around the globe, searching for these people who have said they get two hours of sleep, three hours of sleep. And, you know, they were able to function at these high levels. And to be honest with you, that was the biggest waste of time and money I've ever spent. <laughs> he goes, most of them underreport the amount of sleep they actually got and were just way off. And I was like, wow. All right. So these, there's a lot of mythology around like, you know, this one per, you know, I, I, it's a GM that gets three hours of sleep and functions really well. You know, that's all I've ever gotten in those types of things. It's like, you can't, you can't get used to it. And that's the other thing I get a lot in locker rooms. They're like, well, can I get used to sleeping on four hours of sleep? Right. And my answer to them is like, no, it's like trying to get used to driving drunk. I'm just going to keep drinking a lot and driving. and I'm just going to get better at it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you, you can't, you can't do it. Yeah. Right. So you're, you're leaving things on the table. You're not performing optimally. Yeah. And, and you know, it's funny. It's, it's, it, in a lot of ways it's glorified now too. It's, you know, it's the, it's the rise and grind. It's, you know, even like the entrepreneurship culture of, you know, sleep deprivation is you're, you're encouraged to, to wear yourself thin when in reality it's probably making you less productive in the time that you actually are awake, um, to, to plow through it. So, um, well, this is, this is all super helpful, man. I'm, I'm actually, selfishly very very intrigued and all this stuff it's 9 50 p.m at night so i'm i'm interfering with my normal <laughs> sleep ritual as are you we both have totally. ba- babies in the house we don't want to wake up but um so folks can find out more about you on instagram and twitter it's at b marcello 13 it's m-a-r-c-e-l-l-o 13 and that's brandon marcello phd.com um really appreciate you taking the time this is super helpful and i'm excited for everyone to to get a load of it always a pleasure Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.